Here we go. At our church, Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. Hi, I'm Rob Dickerson, lead pastor at LifeQuest Community Church in Hilton, New York. We invite you to listen in to the LifeQuest worship experience. We hope you enjoy it. And the other thing on Wednesday, uh, two other just quick things I didn't give to Matt. Uh, prayer, Wednesday at the gate. If you're available uh, during the lunch hour from 12 to 1, um, we're there praying for our community, praying for our church, praying for our young people. Uh, last week we opened up the gate uh, for the fall-spring season, and we had a great group of kids showed up for our first day. Uh, one of those kids actually um, showed up for youth group last night, which is awesome. Uh, it's exactly what we want to see happening is we want to be reaching kids here in our neighborhood uh, and helping introduce them to Christ and to a, a walk with the Lord. And uh, so I'm excited to see what God has for us this year. Uh, so that's great. Tomorrow we have, uh, so I, a couple weeks ago I talked about how the town of Greece is giving us a ping pong table and 250 chairs. Uh, we had approached the village about bringing all those chairs here so we could get rid of all the taped and broken chairs. And the village said that they don't want our chairs. Um, They don't want to use them. Well, they want our chairs, but would they want us to give them the chairs and then they wouldn't be our chairs anymore. Um, So, But we want the chairs because at some point we're going to have our own place and we're going to need chairs. So I am renting a truck tomorrow and going to the Greece town hall to pick up the ping pong table for the gate and all of the chairs Uh, and then we will be bringing that truck to the gate and putting all of those chairs uh, wherever we can put them in the gate upstairs downstairs we're going to get we'll probably take the wooden chairs and either put them in the basement or if someone wants chairs um, and then the rest of the chairs will store downstairs in the basement at the gate Um, 
So we have our church council meeting tomorrow at 7. I have the gate from 2 until 6. Um, I'm going to go get the truck and go get the chairs during the day before we go to the gate. So the truck will be there with all the chairs and the ping pong table. Um, and then between 6 and so our council meeting maybe a little bit later than 7, depending on how long it takes us between 6 and 7 to get all of the chairs down into the basement. Does that make sense? Um, so if you're available during the day tomorrow and can help me go get the ping pong table and the chairs, uh, all of it rolls. So the ping pong table rolls, the chairs are all on carts that roll. So we should be able to go to the community center, um, get the get everything out, put it in the elevator, take it downstairs, bring it outstairs, roll it up the ramp into the truck, and then take it to the gate. Um, the ping pong table tomorrow night will probably be a challenge to figure out how we're going to get that in the building. Um, so I have some tools. We may have to do some disassembly to take it apart and get it upstairs because it's going to go upstairs. Um, and then the chairs, whatever chairs don't go wherever they go in the building, will need to go downstairs. Um, does that make sense? All right. So if you're available during the day tomorrow, probably preferably between like noon and uh, or, or even earlier than that, like maybe 11, um, it's probably when I'll go get the truck and then go to the town uh, to get everything. Uh, and then after dinner, um, if you're able to come between 5 and 7 and help us unload the truck so that, um, and I need someone to take the truck back because I'll have my council meeting from 7 until we're done. Tomorrow's going to be, I apologize, guys, tomorrow's probably going to be a, a long one because we haven't had a council meeting since June. So we have a bunch to, to go over. So, and it's it's a busy week because we've got council tomorrow and then Rangers on Tuesday and Sacred Girls and then men's on Wednesday. It's a full week, but a good week, a good week. Excited to have Rangers and, and Sacred Girls back. Um. So when we think about all of those things and we think about life, what really matters? What's important? Uh, and for us, as we have been reading through the Bible uh, this year, we are now in the New Testament. Um, and if you use the Read Scripture Bible app, one of the things that it really it hits me because sometimes when I, when I sit down to read my Bible, I can have the tendency to want to just get through it as quickly as I can, right? And, and, and sometimes I don't take the time to, to pay as much attention as I should. And what I love about the, the app that we use with our Bible reading plan is at the beginning of every reading, it says, stop and take a deep breath before you jump in. So I want to do that this morning, all right? We're going to stop. Right, we've been moving like crazy all week long. And as you just heard, there is a ton of stuff that is about to fire off tomorrow, right? Monday comes with amazing regularity. And we're going to have a busy week. And that's okay. But I want to start us off this morning. Let's just stop and take a deep breath. Ready? In and out. Nice, deep, cleansing breath. And let's let God speak to us today about what really matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We 
thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word that is given to us to guide us, to instruct us, to correct us. Lord, I pray that you would renew our hearts and minds today with a new focus on what really matters. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, today we have been reading uh, through the, the, this week we've been reading through the book of Matthew. And today, if you're, if you're up on your Bible reading, we're actually all the way through Matthew chapter 14 um, through this morning, uh, or through, through today. But what I wanted to do is take a look at probably the most famous sermon ever preached. And it's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers a ton of material. Uh, they, they tell us that when you are preparing a message for something, that you should really focus on one point. Uh, and for some reason, uh, Jesus wasn't paying attention in Hebrew school uh, when they were teaching him how to speak because the, the Sermon on the Mount is like, it covers everything. It covers every aspect of living. Um, and, and, you know, when you're, when you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's got seven sections that it's, it's broken into. In Matthew's chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 12, he's talking about our character in the Beatitudes. And then in verses 13 through 16, he addresses our influence, who we are and what we, the impact that we have on our world when he's talking about us being salt and light. And then in verses 17 to 48, he addresses our righteousness. He addresses the issues of our heart. Uh, and then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he addresses our devotion. He talks about prayer and fasting and our, and our giving. And then in, in the, uh, later in chapter 6, he addresses our ambition. He addresses what, is, what do we really value. And then he talks about our relationships in ch- chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, and, and how we're not to judge others, right? That, 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 that's the whole passage of judge not, lest you be judged. And then that section number 7 is the end of chapter 7 where he addresses our destiny. And he talks, that tells the story about the wise man and the foolish man. And what do you build your foundation on? And how you lay the foundation of your life will affect your destiny. And it's the greatest sermon ever preached. And he, he talks about what really matters in our lives. He shows us how to be a whole person inside and out. And, and he reveals to us how to be healthy and contented and joyful and peaceful. Right? Aren't those all things that we want? That we want to have peace. We want to have joy. We want to have fulfillment. We want all of those things. And then he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And, and I'll just back up to verse 17. And, and I want to read this. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. So he's got a crowd of people. And, and they're all listening intently. And he says to them, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Right? We've just finished reading through the whole Old Testament over the last uh, eight months. And over and over and over again, we were reading about how uh, the Messiah was supposed to come and that he was coming and he was going to set everything straight. He was going to show up and, and change 
everything. And so they had in their minds what the Messiah was going to look like. And now Jesus, he's here. The son of David that we've been reading about all through the Old Testament, he's here. And the first thing he says is, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. So if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, verse 20, I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Ouch. Right? So he's saying, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And one of the things that Jesus was struggling with in his in in this season of his life is that he was constantly being accused of being a partier uh, of hanging out with the wrong people that he was focusing so much on grace and god's love and god's forgiveness and he was he was accused of actually de-emphasizing the law of moses and overemphasizing love and grace he, he said you accuse me of pushing forgiveness at the expense of law and justice People were saying that he minimized the Old Testament and what the prophets said, but that's not true at all. Everything that he did, everything that he said was in support of what all had come before from Genesis through Malachi. And he says, I didn't destroy the law, I fulfill it. So the law was that written code on how they were supposed to live their lives, right? And it it was uh, a code for living life. And and so he's saying, look, the law was written so that you would know how to live. But he said, I am a live person to illustrate how to really live. He was showing them, look at how I am living my life. The way I'm living my life is the fulfillment of the law. The law was a rule for behavior. And he's saying, I am the spirit behind the law. Uh, the law was an external code with a requirement of obligations and regulations and all of these things. And he is saying, I am the spirit and the life and the power that from the inside out, you will see God's law lived and in, in, in real life. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees had thousands of rules that they had to keep. They had, over the course of the centuries, taken what Moses laid down, what God gave through Moses, and they had then added to that all kinds of crazy rules. And so the scribes were these scholars, and their whole mission in life was to spell out all the principles in the law. And so to understand the law, you then had to read all the books that they wrote that explained how you were to fulfill the law. Right, So we have the the scribes on one side, and they're like the lawyers. And then they have the Pharisees, who were the guys who completely separated themselves from society so that they could carry out all the regulations that the the scribes had written down. 
So you have these two groups. And Jesus is saying, if you can't follow the law better than these two guys, you don't even get into heaven. Wow, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? Um, and, and so you, you kind of have to remember that they, they had rules, uh, 800 pages of rules in a book called the Mishnah. Uh, and then they had another book, a whole set of commentaries that were written so that you could understand the Mishnah in addition to what God put in the scriptures. Anybody ready for that? Right? Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Uh, sounds awesome. Um, so there were 12 printed volumes of the Jerusalem Talmud and 60 volumes of the Babylonian Talmud and all of those so that when you read those, it was so that you could understand the Mishnah so that you could understand the Bible. They had rules uh, like this. Don't move a new lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath. I just broke the law. They had rules like don't put a saddle on a donkey on the Sabbath. So if you knew you had to go somewhere, your poor donkey had to be saddled on Friday because you couldn't put the saddle on him on Saturday because that was work. Can't do that. They had rules like, you know, don't do this, don't wear that, don't step here, don't, don't cut your hair this way, do, or don't cut your hair this way, do cut your hair that way, do shave, don't shave, don't wear pants, do wear pants. All of these rules that the, the, the people of, of Israel now, and at this moment in time, as Jesus comes onto the scene, they're exhausted. How in the world are we supposed to follow all of these rules? And so here's two things that happened. So what happened in people's lives is this, and, and I think sometimes it happens to us too. Uh, one of the responses was people felt so unspiritual because they couldn't follow all the rules. And so they were just like, they just put their hands up in the air and like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Or they felt super spiritual because they had all these running lists in their heads of all the things that they had done right. And so now because they did them right, they're now better than the people who couldn't, right? I, I think I've told this story before of, of the day that my roommate and I asked this group of guys at school uh, if we could sit and eat lunch with them in Bible college. Um, I, was, I was not a great rule follower. Um, and so I kind of had this reputation of, of, you know, kind of being a troublemaker and things like that. I, we just I had a, a wedding this... <laughs> what? We, we had a wedding yesterday that I officiated for this young couple, um, awesome kids, and they're, they're, I've known their family their whole lives. And his aunt was one of my best friends growing up. We graduated high school together. Um, and when I was in school, we, we were only allowed to have two free weekends a semester where we could leave school. And so for both of my free weekends, I went home and did stuff, and then Lori's wedding uh, 25 years ago was in June and uh, I had already used up my free weekends. And so I thought, there's no way they're going to know that I'm not here this weekend. Everybody's all over the place. And so I grabbed Terry and we drove home and I was part of Lori's wedding celebration and got back in 
uh, you know, under the wire, past the, the, you know, to get back into the dorm. And then my RA came and said, Rob, where were you this weekend? And so it was like two or three weeks before graduation. Um, and we had a system of discipline where if you got in trouble, you got to do extra duty. Like you had to work in the kitchen or you had to dig ditches or you had to do whatever because you did, you broke the rule. One of the other ways that you got, yeah, yeah, I, I had, I dug ditches. Uh, that was one of my extra duties. The other wonderful thing that I got was, uh, as a, as a 20, uh, three-year-old, uh, man, uh, as I got grounded to my room. It's the week of graduation. All my friends are, you know, their, their families are here. We're leading up. They grounded me to my room until the day of graduation. So that meant that that whole season where I was grounded for two weeks to my room, I could go to the cafeteria and eat. I could go to class. I could go to the library for 30 minutes, get what I needed, and then go back to your room. And uh, and so I'm like, are you kidding me? Like my parents have driven seven hours to be here, and I had to get permission from the director, the RD of our building, to go do spend any time with you and there were a couple of times where he said no no you can't go be with your so I, I, I was that guy um following rules was not an easy thing for me right and so anyways so there was this group of of people at school that they were like in the second group of super spiritual people like when they walked their feet didn't touch the ground like they kind of like hovered there were halos and the sounds of angels singing around them all the time. And so my roommate Andy and I, uh, we asked, we came and we sat down at their table for lunch. And so and we, we asked them, we, we sit down for lunch. And, and they didn't know this, but we were kind of setting them up. And so I asked them if we could pray over lunch. And so like their eyes got really big. And it was, it was almost like uh, you could hear the voices in their head saying, oh my goodness, Dickerson finally got saved right he's he's he he wants to pray right the rule breaker wants to pray for lunch and and so i don't know if any of you are familiar with monty python but there's this one particular skit from monty python where these australian philosophers are getting ready to open their meeting and 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 so the prayer goes like this oh lord we beseech thee amen and then andy and i just started eating and they were like they were horrified that that was our prayer. Um, so I share that story to say that, you know, we can respond in multiple ways to all of these rules that it feels like God has for us, right? We can be, we can be like, I'm so unspiritual, I'll never make it. I'll never measure up. Or we get so super spiritual that it's like, hey, I'm better than you in every way. Because I follow all the rules. Um, and Jesus walks into this group of people on either side. And he says, guys, hold on a second. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter heaven. What does that mean? What, what it means this is that our true relation, our, our true piety, our true uh, uh, act of following after god is is substance not form it's not about all the things that you do and check off on your list that i obeyed these things 
It's about the character of your relationship with God. Surpassing righteousness like that Jesus is talking about is not uh, working harder, but going deeper. Asking God, God, where where are you in this? And, and so, you know, so many things are focused on the outward stuff, right? And so there were things that were the outward stuff when my mom and dad were young, that there were things you never did because we were Christians and we don't do those things, right? And now, it's now the 21st century, and there are many of those things that, that culturally we looked at as sin don't, don't hit the radar of sin anymore. Um, and it's not about focusing on the outward things. God is after our hearts. God wants to go after our inner man. Um, I love this because he won't, he doesn't let us hide behind nice clothes and a pretty church service. He doesn't let us hide uh, behind our, our computer screen um, or our religious exercises. Look at this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, six times after that, he looks at the kind of heart that he's looking for. He says this six times. He says, you have heard it said in the law, but I say to you. And so what does that mean? Let's unpack that. He's kind of like peeling back these layers like an onion to get to the inside of our hearts. And so what he says over and over and over again in these three chapters is it's not about what you look like on the outside. It's who you are in your heart. And are you allowing God by the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out? Now, I don't know about you, um, but I I think that it's possible um, to come to church and go through all the motions and never address deeper things. Ever known anybody like that? They look like they've got it all together, but inside they're a wreck. And I think Jesus wants us to go deeper this morning. Have you ever gone to a, a, a corner market and bought, you know, some sweet corn, right? We're in that season now where it's like you drive by the, the, the farmer stand and there's squash and there's corn and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. And you, you buy, you know, a 10 or so ears of corn and you're really excited, right? We're going to have, we're going to have hamburgers and we're going to have corn and, and you peel open that corn and, and staring you in the face is this little worm, right? Uh, I have a friend that uh, he and his wife were at a birthday party and they were enjoying their cake and, and as, he, as he bit into uh, his second piece of cake, it crunched. There somehow uh, glass had gotten into the frosting. Ouch, right? Um, there, there was... There, have you ever had an opportunity where you open a banana and you think that it's, you know, because the outside is all yellow and perfect and good, and you open it up and there's one of those just giant, like, honking brown bruises in there, and you're like, man, I was not anticipating that to be on the inside. Um, right? My, a, a good friend of mine, he was, uh, he was at a dinner with his wife, and was eating his salad, and, and all of a sudden it was like, what is this in my mouth? He was eating coleslaw in his salad, uh, and, and again, it was like, what is this? Um, there was a bottle cap in his coleslaw. Everybody ready to go out for lunch? What, 
Why do I share all those stories? It's not what we see on the outside that can choke us up. It's the things that are on the inside that will, that will stop us, that will hurt us, that will destroy us inwardly. So what does that mean? What is, what is a heart that is healthy look like? What is Jesus trying to get to? How can we enjoy this journey that he has for us? And, and I think he says that uh, it, it can be revealed in four simple words, four words that matter to God. And, and so let's unpack those four words because they're going to help us go deeper and I think they're going to help us live fuller, more meaningful lives. The first word is this. The first word is humility. Say humility. Humility. That if we will humble ourselves, right? A couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we, we walked through Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Humility is that thing that protects us from the destruction of an angry spirit. That when we humble ourselves, it guards us. It guards us. In in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus is asking about, uh, he deals with anger. Is anyone angry? And then in verse 23, uh, there's, he deals with conflict. In verse 24, he says that if you have an issue with a brother or a sister, what should you do? Should you bring your offering to the altar? Or should you go reconcile with that person who has an offense with you and then come bring your offering, right? That takes humility to go to someone and say, look, I know that I may have wronged you. I'm, I, we, there's an offense that is between you and I. And before I can even bring my offering to the altar, I want to make sure that you and I are okay. Jesus is saying that, that you know, he's not saying don't ever be angry. Right? We're going to be angry. And, and there's a right way to be angry. But that when we are, when we're justified in anger, um, that anger is disciplined and controlled and not selfish. It means that we're reconciling something in a healthy way. Uh, and it's rare when we see anger acted out that way. It's, it's kind of like what this weekend uh, when Jay Redding posted on Facebook, Batman did this to me. Uh, or Batman stole my. And then it was one of those things where you put in a search and, and whatever the, the autocorrect pops up. And so Batman stole his phone. And then Batman stole, uh, I actually said that Batman stole my heart. And, and Stacy said something about Batman stealing something. And I was like, no, no. Batman doesn't steal. So that was the comment that I posted on Facebook. Batman doesn't steal. And then somebody else chopped in and said something else about something that Batman stole. And I was like, now I'm like, in all capital letters, Batman doesn't steal. And so, th- so then people were still going, and I'm like, you guys don't get this. So I'm like, okay, let's be clear. The Joker steals. Penguin steals. Mr. Freeze. Catwoman. Are you kidding me? That's all she does is steal. Batman, if he needs something, he has Bruce Wayne buy it or make it. Batman doesn't steal. 
right? I know that that's silly, right? But there are times when we are, when our anger is used to justify something and it's not in a healthy way, right? We don't, we, we don't humble ourselves. Jesus said this, uh, he said, the law says don't murder, but Jesus says, humble yourself and do everything possible to make things right with other people. You know that the word humble, uh, it, 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 the, the, there's the Greek word for humble, but the, the Latin root for the word humble literally means down to earth. That, that you are willing to bring yourself low so that um, you can make something right between you and another person. Instead of surrendering to those who have hurt you, surrender to the one who was hurt for you. That when, when we have an offense, we don't have to, don't worry about the, the, the issue between you and them. Submit to him and, and humble yourself before him and he will help you. First word is humility. Why is that important? Humility keeps our hearts tender. Humility helps us accept uh, our responsibility in a, in a difficult situation. Number one, the word is humility. Second word is this, purity. Say that word with me, purity. Purity protects you from the destruction of a lustful spirit. If humility protects us from the destruction of an angry spirit, purity protects us from the destruction of a lustful spirit. This, Jesus pulls this out in, in this section of, of the, the law uh, or his Sermon on the Mount. And, and so the law condemned adultery. And what's adultery? Adultery is having sex with any person that is not your spouse. And so Jesus doesn't address adultery. He addresses the root cause of adultery. He addresses lust. And lust is not adultery. Lust is the desire for an, an illicit relationship that you have no right to have. And so the law says, avoid committing the physical act of adultery. That's sin. Jesus says, avoid filling your mind with fantasies that would be sinful if you acted them out. He goes a step further. So, and so in other words, this is the thing that he's trying to teach us. He's saying that sex is a gift from God to, be in, to enjoy and, and to be blessed in. That we express our love to our spouse in the most intimate way that we can. And then on top of that, it's, it's how we keep growing, right? My kids always think it's gross, you know, when my wife and I are kissing and hugging on each other. And, and I'll just turn to them and I'll say, it's the magic that made you. <laughs> right? That, 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 that's what it's for. That's what, that's what it's for, to create life and raise children for the glory of God. But lust is that inner desire in your head, in your thought life, for you to feed on those appetites outside of the protection of your marriage covenant. Remember this. You can't have a great life without a pure life. Say that with me. You can't have a great life without a pure life. You can't have a pure life without a pure mind. And you can't have a pure mind without daily washing it with the word of God. Catch that? If you're struggling to keep up with your Bible reading plan, don't give up. Don't give up. 
If you're behind, it's okay. We're in Matthew now, right? If you have spare time, go back and finish the Old Testament. But we're in Matthew now, and it's okay. Just get in there every day. Get into his word and let him speak to you. So what does Jesus say? How do we deal with lust and impure thoughts? This is where it gets a little crazy, right? Because Jesus says, if you have something that is causing you to lust, if it's your eye, pluck out your eye. If it's your hand, chop off your hand. You see, literally mean that I'm supposed to take a spoon and scoop out my eye or to go out to the shed and get, you know, the, the hatchet and chop off my hand. Um, I don't think so. I hope not. Um, I hope not. But I do think that it means that we're, whatever measures you have to take to prevent that, if it means you have to cancel subscription to the internet, if it means that you have to uh, put software on your computer so that you are protected, that if things pop up, that it alerts an accountability partner to say, hey, just FYI, uh, Rob went somewhere that he shouldn't have, and maybe you should give him a call, right? Whatever you need to do, drastic measures to prevent yourself, to get rid of books. And this is not just a guy thing um, for, for ladies. Um, that whole 50 shades of garbage um, that is basically porn for moms, um, if you're feeding yourself a steady diet of that, uh, that is that is as bad. Uh, I mean, I had friends uh, that they, like for them, um, Twilight was like their emotional porn. And and this, this one of my coworkers uh, had this completely made up imaginary ideal of, of who the perfect man is because she thought that Edward was like the ultimate example of what true love looked like. And her husband could never measure up to the vampire in her book. I'm not making it up. I had conversation after conversation at lunchtime about how she wished that she could find an Edward. And I'm like, you already did. You married him. No, no, that's not him. Wow. Cut it off. Your life will always go in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. So if you have something that you are feeding into your heart and mind and it's bringing you in that direction where you're taking that glance, that second glance, that second thought, cut it off. Number one, humility. Number two, purity. Number three, quickly, gratefulness. Say gratefulness. Gratefulness. Gratefulness will protect your marriage from the destruction of a complaining spirit. Humility will protect us from the destruction of an angry spirit. And Purity will protect us from the destruction of a, a lustful spirit. Gratefulness protects you from the destruction of a complaining spirit. Chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, It's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say unto you, not so fast. In, in the first century, divorce was out of control. If your wife didn't cook the meal the way that you wanted it cooked, you could issue her a certificate of divorce. If And there were, there were all of these ways that you could cut off uh, your spouse, uh, and it was easy to divorce and remarry, and you literally, there were all these things. And Jesus says, hold on a second. 
marriage is intended to be exclusive and lifelong. It was such an honor to to be there for Joshua and and San uh, Cassandra. Uh, they'll be here with us next Sunday. Hopefully, pray that they get up. Um, love those kids, and and just the honor of being to be with them through the process of the premarital counseling and then to be there for their wedding ceremony. Um, my wife hates this story that I tell at every wedding, um, but it's so true. She hates it. She does. Sorry. They tell this story about this couple that they've been married for 50, 60 years. And they have one of those cars with a long bench seat, right? Remember the long bench seats before we had to wear seat belts? And you could take a Sunday drive after church and, and, and you could be driving and your, your honey could be snuggled right up next to you. And they would take these long drives. And now it's 50, 60 years into their marriage and, and he's in the drive behind the wheel and she's all the way over here on the other side of the bench. And she says to her husband, do you remember when we were younger, you know, that we would ride all snugly and close and now you're over there and, and I'm over here. And she said, what happened? You know, what? And he looks at her and he says, I didn't move. Right? Because sometimes those things come into our lives and we get ungrateful. We get upset with someone we think man there's something better and and so we drift away from each other and so at, at what i do uh when i do a wedding is that i have my ordination stole and I, I wrap it around their hands and i tell them there are going to be times in your marriage where you're going to want to let go that you're going to want to pull away right there are going to be times where you're not grateful for the way he leaves the seat down or up or that he, yeah, or, or whatever configuration. Or you're not grateful for the fact that, that you put the laundry basket in the middle of the hallway and he had to step over it to get to the bedroom and left it in the hallway, right? There are times, and so in, in or, or even more difficult things where uh, you're, you're having a terrible time and you want to pull away. And I tell them, I want you, when you have those moments, when you feel like pulling away from each other, remember this moment. Remember the feeling of this on your hands. Remember that you are committing, that we are t- we're in this together to the end. And we're going to be grateful for the things that God has blessed us with. Last thing. Fourth word. Fourth word. Forgiveness. Say forgiveness, right? Humility, purity, gratefulness, forgiveness. He says in verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, turn the other cheek, give your coat away, go two miles instead of one, be generous in giving. When we forgive, when we forgive someone who has offended us, it's not about that person. It's about getting our hearts free from that offense. When you hold bitterness in your heart towards someone and you don't let that go, it's like looking that person in the eye and drinking poison and saying, ha ha, I got you. Right? Forgiveness is letting that offense go and giving it to God. 
Because if you have someone that you haven't forgiven, they own you. They own your emotions. They own your decisions, your choices. Forgiveness frees you from the control of what someone else has done to you. He says this, here's the power of forgiveness in verse 43. He says, the law said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love, bless, do good, pray for those who hurt you. Our human nature wants to put our rights, right? I was offended. I have a right to be upset. I have a right to be hurt. I have a right to be mad. We put our personal rights before the gospel. Our our human nature wants to withhold mercy from those who've hurt us. We want to retaliate. And Jesus says it's more important to give mercy than to receive it. When we forgive, we set them free. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that, that the whole thing hinges on, and, and I think sometimes we misunderstand this, and I want to unpack it. He says this in verse 48. It's the secret to the whole thing. It's the secret to humility and purity and um, gratitude and forgiveness. He says this in verse 48. He says, But therefore be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What does that mean? So we read that word and we hear the word perfect. What do you think? Follow the law, right? What else? When you think about perfection without flaw, right? That I can't make any mistakes. That if I'm going to be perfect, it means that from now on, I will make no more mistakes. And we think, how in the world are we going to do that? That's not what this word means. What the mean, the, the word in the Greek that Jesus used does not mean sinless perfection. It means maturing and growing and changing and transforming. So to be perfect, it means that we agree with Jesus and what he says. And it also means that we're going to act on that truth and receive his ministry to us for ourselves. And it means that when we respond, when we respond to the truth, the truth sets us free it sets us free from whatever it is that's holding you back from growing and maturing and, and experiencing his transformation. So here's the thing. Are you angry at anyone who's hurt you? You need to humble yourself before God. Are you feeding lust in any way that you need to get radical with and cut off? Are you at odds with your spouse today instead of being grateful for the gift that they are that God has given to you? Are you offended or wounded in any way and need to forgive someone? Not for them, but for you. That's how we can be perfect. And that's how we can live a life that really matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would help us to humble ourselves that we wouldn't let our anger get in the way of being who you made us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in purity. You would guard our hearts and our minds, that you would guard our marriages. Lord, that we would be grateful people, that we wouldn't look for offenses, that we wouldn't look for reasons to be upset or disappointed, but we would be grateful 
for our spouses and, and walk in an attitude of gratitude so that someday for those that, that aren't married, that they will, will experience that in their marriage. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be forgiving people. We wouldn't hold on to bitterness, but we would forgive like you forgave us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Have an awesome week. Uh, if you're able to help me in any way tomorrow, uh, getting the chairs in the morning, uh, probably like 10 or 11 o'clock, that would be awesome. Uh, if you can come after work and help us get all of that stuff into the gate uh, between 6 and 7, that would be awesome. Uh, if you're able to help us to Thank you for listening to the LifeQuest Worship Experience. If you're in Hilton, you can join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We meet in the Hilton Community Center, 59 Henry Street. We have a full children's ministry program during the 10 a.m. service, including care for nursery through 6th grade. Please join us again online at lifequest.cc or in person at the Hilton Community Center. We pray you have a blessed week.